So let us hear the word of God as it's found in Isaiah 42. We'll read from verse 1 to the, uh, the first part of verse 10. This is the word of God. It says, found in the Pew Bible, page number 1123, 1123. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastland shall wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out. Who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise from the ends of the earth. Amen. Friends, you could turn in your Bibles to uh, the Epistle of James, uh, chapter 3. James 3, we'll read from verse 13 to 18. Keep the coat on, Jane, it's cold. <laughs> the uh, apologies again for the heating. I think Paul's still trying to work on it, get it, uh, get it working. But, um, well, we won't fall asleep, won't we? It'll be too cold. So James chapter uh, 3, let us uh, break into the chapter of verse 13. <coughs> Who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusing and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. But the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, 
Against such there is no law. We're currently in a little uh, series on the fruit of the Spirit. There are two elements of the fruit of the Spirit mentioned there. In verse uh, 23 of Galatians 5, the other seven are in verse 22. And so having dealt with or been dealt with by the challenge of faithfulness, I think three weeks ago, uh, we move on this morning to gentleness. Writing on the fruit of the Spirit back in 1839, a Dutch Reformed pastor observed, quote, There may be no grace less prayed for or cultivated than gentleness. Here we are 184 years later, and I think we would be forced to agree with this comment. You know, it still stands. There may be no grace less prayed for or cultivated than gentleness. When was the last time, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, when was the last time you knelt down and said, Lord Jesus, please produce within me the fruit of a gentle spirit? Have we ever as a church corporately come together and prayed, Lord Jesus, will you create within us such a spirit of gentleness that those who are in most need of your care may encounter it when they come through the doors of this little chapel? I I don't say that by way of criticism. I think the reason that gentleness is neglected is because it's misunderstood. It's as misunderstood as it is undervalued. When people think of gentleness, they think that it means some kind of spineless weakness. That you become a doormat. It doesn't appeal to the macho among us. The Greek word protest is the word that is most used in the text of the New Testament and is translated almost routinely uh, in the old authorised version as meekness, but here in the New King James Version and in the ESV or NIV, if that's uh, what you're reading this morning, uh, we find the same Greek word protest rendered in the text as gentleness. That's how the word is translated. But what does it mean? Well, essentially it means strength under control. To illustrate that, we could go to the Old Testament and use Moses as an example. Uh, We know that he was a meek man. The scripture records that he was a gentle man. And yet, he was able to stand up to the characters within the nation of Israel who opposed him after they came out of Egypt. People of uh, standing, people of renowned, uh, no pushovers by any stretch of the imagination, yet Moses was able to oppose them and face them down. Undoubtedly, that was an indication of his uh, physical strength and prowess, and yet it was also uh, a mark of his meekness also, because he's referred to as a meek man. And so if you have your Bibles open 
uh, at Galatians 5, you will see that gentleness stands in direct contrast to the works of the, pre, uh, the flesh, which Paul referred to before he comes to this fruit of the Spirit. Works of the flesh, he tells us, include hatred and contentions, rivalries, dissensions, and heresies or divisions. And gentleness in particular uh, is the counterpart of hatred. It's not a temperament, nor is it a personality. It is with the rest of the fruit of the Spirit, an outflow of the love of God. The love that heads this, uh, this list of the fruit of the Spirit. All of it flows out of love. Now, gentleness obviously involves a Godward dimension in as much as it, in, it involves, first of all, a submission to God and all of his word and all of his works. And then it involves a manward side. In other words, it has a consideration of others. So bear those two things in mind as we move through this sermon from the Word of God, uh, based on the Word of God this morning. Uh, gentleness has a Godward uh, dimension in as much as, as it involves, first of all, submission to God and all of his word and all of his work. And then it involves a manward side. So it has a consideration of others. Now, in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is the one who exhibits gentleness, par excellence, in relationship to the totality of this orb of Christian uh, godliness, as well as in relationship to it in its individual aspects. You've got to think Jesus. You know, when, when you think of gentleness, think Jesus. You know, James in the passage that we read together a few moments ago, James, the brother of Jesus, he had urged his readers to conduct themselves in the wisdom and the, uh, in the meekness of wisdom. A wisdom which he goes on to say is not only pure and peaceable, but it's also gentle. Now we have to acknowledge that isn't characteristic of folk in the climate in which we are living. We live in a society where gentleness is not a commonly admired or cultivated quality. You know, just to look at the protests uh, on the streets of our nation's capital and in other areas around the world, to see the anger and the vitriol that is spewed forth whether it's from the protests against the war in the Middle East or it's just oil protesters or whatever. There's little gentleness about them. It's not a characteristic that any of them manifest. And you see, friends, that's why Paul, not only in this chapter in Galatians, but also in other portions of the Word of God, urges you know, gentleness upon the people of God. That's why, you know, this, uh, that's why it's been a major emphasis in this series. 
that in making the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ attractive in a dark society, these characteristics are essential. They, they, they shine brightly against the darkness of this culture. And so Paul says to um, his readers as he writes to the New Testament, you know, you make sure that you're walking in a way that commends this gospel to others. Doesn't he say to the Ephesians? Doesn't he say to the Colossians? Doesn't he say to Titus? He says, you make sure that you are not wearing your old clothes, metaphorically speaking. He's saying, make sure that you have taken off the old clothes that marked your old life before you were converted and became a child of the king. Make sure that you are wearing the clothes that were provided for you by the grace of God when you repented of your sin and you became a Christian. And part of our clothing, we sang about it in that third hymn, Come Down, O Love Divine. We sang about the clothing in the third verse. Let lowliness or gentleness or humility become my inner clothing. So that which is both inner and unidentifiable will eventually be worked out and reveal itself in the life of the child of God. Especially, I would say in particular, uh, to those who are uh, closest to us and know us best. So, perhaps the best way to look at this topic this morning will be along the lines of three brief pictures. Okay, so the first thing we'll do is we'll look at three brief pictures and then secondly we'll take a look at Paul, the apostle, by way of an example. And then thirdly, uh, we'll close with some application. So the first picture comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. Isaiah gives us a description of God, a picture of God that is ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse uh, 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Picture of Jesus. In verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 40, God is described in all of his sovereign power. But in verse 11, He's also the shepherd as well as the sovereign. He is the shepherd who tends his flock. He has a gentle care of those who are his own. He does so as a shepherd. And as Jesus, isn't he a shepherd? He comes as a shepherd to those who have particular needs, the lambs, and he gathers them in his arms. He carries them in his bosom. And he gently leads those who have young. It's a, it's a wonderful and compelling picture of the might, the majesty, the unfettered strength, authority, and sovereignty of Almighty God stooping down and coming into our little lives and dealing with us 
in this shepherd-like way, this gentle way. Second picture, also from Isaiah, two chapters further on, the opening of uh, Isaiah 42 that we read at the outset of our service this morning. Isaiah 42 is the first of the servant songs by Isaiah, again, fulfilled in the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold my servant whom I uphold. He says, here he is. And I want to introduce you to him. He is my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. In other words, at the end of the day, God will recreate the world as he intended it to be. All will be righted. All wrongs will be put right. And then this servant steps forward. And Isaiah prophesies that when this servant steps forward, you you know, he's he's not... uh, He's not a bully. He's not rowdy or loud. He doesn't cry out or raise his voice. He's not garish. He is tender. So much so that a bruised reed he will not break. In common parlance, he, he wouldn't hurt a fly. And a smoking flex he will not quench. He won't say, you know, we'll let the list things useless. Get rid of it. You know, in human terms, he doesn't say, well, she doesn't amount to much. So just forget her. Or he's not much good, so throw him out. No. You know, when you fast forward, you find this quoted in the New Testament. With respect to the Lord Jesus Christ. In in Matthew chapter 12. Verses 15 and 20. You know Jesus. He's up north. In Galilee. He's he's ministering. He has been healing. On the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are not happy. And we read in Matthew chapter 12. Verse 15 through to 21. We read. uh, Jesus withdrew from there. Great multitudes followed him and he healed them. Yet he warned them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. What we just read from Isaiah, you know, 42. In verse 18 it says of Matthew 12, Behold, quoting from Isaiah, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved one in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory And in his name, Gentiles will trust. You see, 
Jesus, the Messiah, he, he deals gently with the hurting, with those who are spiritually weak, those who are of little faith. And the third picture, still with the prophets, this time from Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, a prophecy again that is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you're familiar with Matthew's gospel, you will know that Matthew quotes this during the triumphal entry in uh, chapter 21. But Matthew, Zechariah 9, verse 9, where again we read of the servant of the Lord, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Sion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a coat, the foal of a donkey. What a wonderful picture is this. Here is the king of the universe. Here is the God who has created everything. Here is the Lord of all glory as he steps down into time, as he makes himself known to us. And he does so with such amazing tenderness and such gentleness. It's interesting, isn't it, that in the Gospels, in Jesus' self-designation, he refers to himself as gentle. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're not going to come to somebody, are you, if you're frightened? You're not going to come to them if you think they're going to send you away as less than useless. You're not going to come to them if you think they'll throw you out like the smoking flax, if they'll just dump you like the bruised reed. Come to me, says Jesus. Have you ever come to the Messiah? Gentle, Jesus, meek and mild. He's, he's, uh, he's so gentle, isn't he, with his disciples? You know, when he looks at them, he sees them in all their frailty and he sees them in all their faithlessness because they know, he knows that they will all forsake him and flee. And yet he shows such gentleness. Well, three pictures in black and white. And then you move into the New Testament, and there you find them in resplendent color. The apostolic pattern follows the pattern of the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? The apostolic pattern is one of gentleness. And after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, in terms of an apologetic, in terms of a testimony to the truthfulness of Christianity, probably the most compelling testimony and argument in defense of uh, Christian truthfulness is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. 
anybody who reads the Acts of the Apostles realizes there's a dramatic change that has to be explained at having taken place in the life of Saul of Tarsus. A radical change in this, in this man. Because he had been such a, a nasty piece of work. And Luke tells us uh, that he was party to the death of the first Christian martyr. And Saul of Tarsus was such a fearful figure that when he actually repented of his sin and professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus didn't want to have anything to do with him. They were saying, keep Mr. Nasty at arm's length. They were afraid of him. They were afraid that he was going to show up at their assemblies because he was the one who had been breathing out the threatenings and the slaughter. And he's up to no good. He just wants to get in to find out who we are, where we are, and have us all arrested and carried off to prison. So keep him at arm's length. So what on earth was it that happened to this man, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle after his conversion, He was transformed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the work of the Spirit of God in his life was to produce the fruit of this Spirit that we're looking at. That was what was produced in Paul's life. So much so that, for example, when he writes to the church at Thessalonica, he's able to say to them, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother, taking care of her children. What? We were gentle among you? You mean Mr. Threatening? You mean Mr. Slaughter? You mean Mr. Murderer? We were gentle among you? Yes. In the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 1, he says he is pleading with the Corinthians by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now surely Paul urges, as Paul urges gentleness on those who are under his care and to those to whom he writes in relationship to this, that it's certainly a reminder to him of the wonder of God's grace in his life. What he was and now what he has become, it's a reminder to him of the fact that apart from the work of the Spirit of God, he would know nothing about gentleness. But he would know everything about hate and slander and murder and threatenings. Because he was a blasphemer. Prior to his conversion, he was a persecutor. He was the insolent person who had shown no mercy. But now because he had been shown mercy by Jesus Christ, his life has changed and he's manifesting this gentleness. And so if you look in the epistles, you will find that he says again and again, for example, he says in uh, Philippians chapter 4, let your gentleness... Be known to all. 
To Titus he writes and he says, now, gentleness, he says, let that be, you know, a mark of your, of your life. And remind them, remind your congregation to be gentle. He writes to Timothy in his pastoral role in Ephesus in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And he says, Timothy, when the Lord's servant corrects his opponents, he has to do it with gentleness. When he explains the nature of discipline within the the church at the beginning of Galatians chapter 6, what does he say? He says that those who are spiritual, who exercise the role of discipline in the life of someone who has fallen by the way, he says, restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness. So the whole understanding of discipline, exercised within a fellowship, exercised on a one-to-one basis, is rooted in recognition of the fact that the one to whom we ultimately go is the one who doesn't cry aloud, is the one who is not a bully, he doesn't snuff us out, he doesn't ditch us, he gives us opportunity again and again and again, and he responds to us with amazing gentleness. It's the one to whom we come. Therefore, How could we be children of this king and operate in any different way? It's not an option, friends. And now thirdly, the painful bit, the application, a spiritual deep dive, a spiritual MRI. I've never had an MRI scan. Larissa and my daughter, she had an MRI scan a while back, explained it. Doesn't sound pleasant. Some of you have had MRI scans and you've told me about it. Not a pleasant experience. Certainly if you're claustrophobic, it can be pretty horrendous. But if you can get over, you know, the fear, apparently an MRI scan is an effective means of showing what's really going on in the inside can reveal the absence of something that we were hoping to find there. Or it can reveal the presence of something that we never wanted to see. Well, what is this little series on the fruit of the Spirit been like? You know, as we have gone down this list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, and now gentleness. How uncomfortable has it been? We squirmed in our seats, and then perhaps walked out the door, buried our head in the sand, pretending it didn't apply to us. Is it fair, is it fair to describe this series like a spiritual MRI? Showing up, well, certainly in my own heart. You know, things that I hoped I would never see there. And failing to show up things that I longed to see. 
You know, remember when we looked at Psalm 139 at the start of the year? The psalmist begins by acknowledging that God knows all about him, knows all of his activities, knows all of his words, knows all of his thoughts. What is true of David is true of us. At the end of the psalm, Psalm 139, David bravely invites God to search him out at the level of his heart. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties. The Lord put me down that tube. Do the MRI scan. See if there's anything in me in me that grieve that grieves you. Anything in me in me that disappoints you, makes you sad. So let's let's take the test. Two parts. In relationship to our submission to God, and in relationship to our consideration of others. Submission to God, part one of the test. Do I have a teachable spirit? Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, rights, James, and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the imparted word which is able to save your souls. You know, you're never going to benefit from the Bible, he says, if you come with a filthy mind. If you come with an argumentative spirit, you know, you, you can sit for a thousand years and listen to the Bible being taught and it'll be like water ducks back unless you have a teachable spirit. That's why he says that it's essential that you have this fruit of gentleness, of humility, of heart. It's revealed in the way in which we listen to the word of God being taught. Secondly, do I have a repenting heart? In submission to God, gentleness, sensitivity, not only teachable to his word, but repenting when confronted by the truth of this word. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We certainly do bad things we didn't want to do. We fail to do good things that we would love to have done. We suffer if we fail to face up to these things. If we simply ignore them or try to hide them, at least two things will happen. One, our fellowship with God is spoiled. And secondly, our usefulness for God is diminished. The loss of abiding fellowship with God and usefulness in the service of Almighty God may be traced at times, the bulk of the times, to an unrepentant heart. That's why Luther says repentance is a daily activity. So, Sensitivity to the teaching of the word of God. Repentance as the word of God convicts us of our sin. And then thirdly, uh, we are marked by a trusting faith. You see, it's very easy to talk about submission to God when everything is going well. But what about when the trials come? What about when the difficulties come? Is your walk still marked by an abiding trust in God. You see, gentleness is developed by trials, difficulty, and adversity. So the very things that I don't want in my life are the very things that in my life 
when they come, make me the full orb person that God wants me to be. God uses them. You know, I don't want to be sick. I don't want to be disappointed. Don't want my heart broken. Don't want the darkness. Don't want any of those things. But God is sovereign. Sovereign in all his dealings. He knows what he's doing. And he is expressly committed to conforming his children to the image of his beloved son. He wants us to make us like Jesus. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. J.M. Barry, you know, the writer Peter Pan, wasn't it? J.M. Barry was asked on one occasion where his mother got her lovely, tender, gentle eyes, her, her lovely, sympathetic, gentle countenance. J.M. Barry said, she got it when my other brother died in infancy. It was that which so marked her. General Booth of Salvation Army fame, he had cataract surgery, which went horribly wrong. It was tough because he had already lost uh, a sight in one eye. So he was blind, one eye, the cataract surgery field. And it fell to his son to tell the general the results of the surgery, his son Bramwell. He had the task of going into his dad and uh, saying what had happened. Booth's first response was to say, does this mean I'll never see your face again? And then after a moment, he added calmly, God must know best. And then after another little pause, he said, Bramwell, I have done what I could for God and his people with my eyes. Now I shall do what I can for God and the people without my eyes. MRI. Listening to God's word with a penitent heart teachable spirit, and trusting faith. Part two of the test, in consideration of others. Here's the test. You're sliding down that tube. We're talking about gentleness in relationship to God who is there and obviously out there, but what about with respect to our relationship to one another? What about a gentle spirit in consideration of the needs and concerns of others? Well, time's gone. So here are just a few questions. I'll read them out to you. And uh, as you listen to them, reflect upon them, let's ask God to work them out in our lives. With respect to others, are we considerate? Are we generous? Are we fair in our dealings with others? Or are we rigid, exacting, and demanding? Am I prepared to be gentle and sensitive to the pressures and insecurities that are the lot, the portion 
of my friends and my families and my colleagues? Am I prepared to be gentle and sensitive and considerate, you know, in my response to uh, maybe the delivery driver who I've been sitting in for the past few hours waiting on and I was told they would arrive between 2 and 3 and it's now 6 o'clock and I still haven't turned up. And when they open the door, well, you just want to let fly at them. And what about the wee checkout girl or the wee checkout boy in Morrison's? And uh, maybe you're snappy, you're snappy with them, less than gentle. What about sitting in traffic? Are you as considerate and as gentle to the other driver when all of that traffic's built up? Do we tell ourselves that we are standing on principle at times when in fact we are merely insisting on our own opinions? Are we becoming increasingly compassionate? Are we, be, are we becoming increasingly genial and reasonable and kind as the Spirit of God works in our lives if we are his children? Or are we disturbingly crusty and rigid, unyielding and unflexible? You know, as we examine ourselves in the light of his word and in the light of these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, are we tough on ourselves and are we tender with others? Oh, may God help us to work these things out in our lives to his glory, that we would be people who shine as lights in the dark darkness of this dark, dark culture.